Hello, this is Aaron from New Jersey. Just calling in. I had two questions, but I'll keep it quick. I'll get right to the point. Um, so I am a school teacher. I'm a high school teacher, and I know all about the redirection of behaviors that you are trying to improve. A uh, couple different strategies there, but you employed a really nice one. So, you know, I was wondering with an elephant's memory of uh, what about that, you know, that uh, word association podcast full episode that we were promised a little while ago. Oh, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> love everything you do, but that was something on the back burner for a while that I was looking forward to, hmm. as many were. Hmm. Love you guys. Curious what your thought is. See you later. So you know what's interesting? Thank you very much, Aaron in New Jersey. Um, you know what's interesting about that? And thanks for playing that, Amal. I was thinking about that today while I was washing dishes. As I was thinking about what we're going to do on the podcast today, all of a sudden, yellow laces popped into my brain. I said, oh, yeah, we've been meaning to get around to that, and we've totally dropped it. So I probably should have told you guys uh, this first, is that I'm taking the week off from Sunday, April 17th to Friday, April the 23rd taking the family away for a few days and I'm not going to do the blog that week. If you want to do a podcast that week or two with a different co-host, you're more than welcome to. Uh, Jeff, I also won't be appearing on your radio show that week. Unacceptable. Both <laughs> things are, all these things are unacceptable. Elliot. And maybe what we'll do is we'll, we'll do it before then so they can, it can run that week. Stick one in the can, release it that Stick week. Stick one in the can and then run it that Let's week. Let's do it. Let's end up doing that one. We can do that. That is... Ah, we've promised this before. Who's kidding who? We'll try to try. How about that? The real Bart Simpson-esque way. Yes. We will try to try. Uh, welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Merrick Friedman Delich, glad to be with you as we are now back from Florida. And we've talked plenty about the general managers meetings uh, on the radio show, on your blog as well. We will have some thoughts on Eugene Melnick in the future, the Ottawa Senators. But Elliot. I do want to mention, we're going to start a new feature on today's podcast. We are? That was yes. Oh. You suggested it. And that is, we're going to break down a little bit more in depth teams that once they get eliminated from the playoffs. Right. We're going to do that. So there's four of them, Seattle, Arizona, Montreal and Philadelphia as we tape this podcast now. So we're going to talk about them yeah. uh, in a little bit. We are, but we're going to start by talking about Gabby yeah. uh, and Bruce Boudreau and the Vancouver Canucks. What are the tea leaves saying about Bruce Boudreau and Vancouver? After trade deadline, Patrick Alvin, the GM of the Canucks, appeared on Vancouver's radio station, uh, 650 out there, with uh, Dan Riccio and Sat Shaw. Now, by our understanding, um, Bruce Boudreaux's contract is still a little bit up in the area as an option for, for next year. Do you see Bruce Boudreaux as, as your head coach long-term? You know what? We haven't, uh, we haven't got into those uh, discussions yet. Uh, I think we, we again, be evaluating our, our team and, and uh, as we move along here, and that, that will be something that, that uh, we in the hockey ops will sit down after the season here and, and uh, talk about it. And I saw some tweets about it, and Jason Bruff sent me a DM about it. You know, hey, you should probably listen to this. And I did, and I sent it to a couple of people, and I, I my reaction was, what do you think of this? And I think a lot of us had the same kind of reaction. It, it didn't really sound very, I would say, inviting about the possibility of Boudreaux coming back next year. He's on a one-year contract with a team option for next year, but I think there are some, it's unique. I've been told the language of the contract is unique and that there are protections for Boudreaux in it. 
However, what I, I think it also means is that there's a possibility that Boudreaux might not be coming back next year. And I find it incredibly hard to believe um, he has done an unbelievable job there. He's coming out of COVID. The team wasn't doing very well. You know, he helped fill that building and bring some fans back and create some excitement and get them going the right way. But it hardly seems like a 100% foregone conclusion that he's coming back next year, which I find incredibly hard to believe. I was going to say, then the question that everybody is asking themselves right now as they hear this is Why? Like when you go right down the list of things that he was brought in to do, and maybe you might look at it and say, well, hold on a second here. Bruce Boudreaux was brought in to be a placeholder before the new coach came. But even if that's a reality, look what he's done. Yeah. Look what he's done, not just on the ice with the Vancouver Canucks, but off the ice as well. Like, listen, whether it was the chance to the great press conferences, here's the thing that really impressed me about Bruce Boudreaux. And if you know him or if you've followed his career, you know, in the in the NHL from you know Washington to Anaheim to Minnesota, you know this about Bruce Boudreaux. Vancouver all season long has been a really tense, tight market. Mm-hmm. The nerves are close to the skin. People you know, react quickly uh, around this hockey team and have this season specifically. It's been a miserable season for the Vancouver Canucks up until when Bruce Boudreaux was brought in uh, and Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin uh, were brought in as well. And it almost as if like right away, Frege, Bruce Boudreaux made everybody relax and laugh and took all the 10 you know though when there's like you're, you're you're at a party or something like that and two people are having a a beef or an argument and someone comes into the room and lightens the mood and everything's okay isn't that kind of what boudreaux's done in vancouver mm-hmm. like it's stunning it's stunning to me i agree with that i completely agree with that and He's not as much an X's and O's guy. At least the perception of him is that way. He's more of he makes people want to play for him, and he makes it easier on people to perform. Although I do remember Victor Kozlov once told me, uh, I saw Victor Kozlov once in Russia after he played for Washington, and he said Boudreaux was the best coach he ever played for at getting people through the neutral zone. Hmm. But anyway, he has the reputation of being better at, getting you to play as opposed to how a team is structured and things like that. And sometimes I think that leads to, well, we need more structure. We need more structure. And if you look at what happened in Minnesota, for example, you know, Bill Guerin fired him when his contract was coming up. And essentially what it did was it allowed Guerin to promote Dean Evason full-time. Boudreaux was starting to have success in Minnesota that I don't know that they were expecting. And, I don't think they wanted to keep him long-term at the time. And Garen made the decision. He said, look, like I'm making this change. And it kind of reminds me of the same thing that Boudreaux is building something here in Vancouver, but I just don't know that they're committed to him around him. And the one thing I think here is that Boudreaux's playoff record is such that You know, people say, well, that's where it catches up to you. Maybe lack of structure catches up to you there. But the one thing I'm reminded of, it's hard to make the playoffs in this league. Mm -hmm. You can't win in the playoffs until you at least get to the playoffs. And I think when you take a look at some of these teams, Bruce Boudreaux gets you to the playoffs. And 
I think there's a lot of teams here that sometimes forget how hard that is. And I wonder if what's going to happen is, and I'm not saying that I've been told this, but I'm kind of wondering this, is if at some point in time, Boudreaux or his representatives are going to go to the Canucks and say, look, if you're not keeping him, we want to know fast because someone else may want to hire him. Well, that becomes my next point here. Do you not think that Bruce Boudreaux has done enough with the Vancouver Canucks this season to get the attention of other people around the NHL? I think so. Like we know that Bruce Boudreaux was offered, I believe he was, was he offered officially an assistant position with the Maple Leafs or he wanted something on the Maple Leafs bench? He was. He wanted to be on the Leafs bench, but it never went anywhere. And I, I think it was that he had maintained it would be the only assistant position in the NHL that he would want, that he sees himself as he is. He's a, a head coach. Uh, but when it came to his, you know, the team that he grew up, you know, admiring and, uh, and and playing for, he would be an assistant coach. But hasn't Boudreaux done enough in this last thing? Like, there were a lot of people surprised when Boudreaux got hired. Like, people thought that, okay, he's done in Minnesota. Is that it for Bruce Boudreaux? He comes back into Vancouver and helps pop the team. Same players. Right, same player. It wasn't as if you know the the new the new management came in and brought in a whole. New, it's, it's the same players that Boudreaux worked with here and got different results out of these guys. And all of a sudden, listen, JT Miller is having a a career season. Uh, I know, and Boudreaux will always say it, it helps when you have an elite level goaltender. But has he not done enough to get the attention of other people around the NHL? I think so, Jeff. And again, it goes back to the point I'm trying to make, which is people forget how hard it is to make the playoffs in this league. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of, I remember I was having this argument with someone when the Blue Jays made the playoffs for the first time in whatever year that was, 2015, when the first time they made it in 20-something years. We were having an argument about whether or not they should keep David Price next year. And obviously they got blown out of the water. But one of my buddies said to me, well, you know, Price doesn't pitch very well in the playoffs. And I said to him, they haven't made the playoffs in 23 years. Like, how about you just get them to get you there? Here's the other thing, Elliot. We've talked about this before. 82 games, a lot of games. The season is really long. And there comes a point where it really feels like you're grinding and lifting heavy every single day. And I don't know that Bruce Boudreaux is someone that makes it miserable for anybody to come to the rink. Like, I'm with you on this. Like, getting to the playoffs is tough. Getting through a season is tough. And when you have a coach with a certain disposition and every time you look behind you when you're on the bench, like, oh, that guy and that look and that sneer and now he's ignoring me and, oh, that's great. I think you need to have people around that help you get through 82 games. I really do. And I see Bruce as one of those guys. Like Bruce is the guy that as long as he's talking about hockey, hasn't had a bad day in his life. And I know he has. Like Bruce Boudreaux has had personal tragedy in his life. But as long as he's around hockey and talking hockey, he's in a great spot. And he makes it great for everybody around him. Do you ever read Moneyball? Of course. So what does Billy Bean talk about in that book? He talks about the look of a player. Someone looks like a player. Someone doesn't look like a player. What's his line? We're not selling blue jeans here. Yeah. We don't care how it looks. We only care about the results. Yeah. What he's trying to say is don't overthink it. And I just wonder if this is getting overthought. Look, it's been a hard few years in Vancouver. The math isn't their friend. It looks like they've run out of road, but he injected some life this year. Yeah. I always say this, be careful what you wish for. 
are you selling blue jeans or are you trying to win? And I would just say that if I was Vancouver, I would be very careful about what I'm doing here. Uh, another coach of a Canadian team I want to get your thoughts on since you write about him at 32 Thoughts blog, and that is Jay Woodcroft with the Edmonton Oilers. That is a decision that you write will probably be dealt with in the offseason. I had a chat with Ken Holland uh, after the GM meetings. You know, he was the one who brought up the salary cap yep. thing in the playoffs. And then I just asked him quickly, Woodcroft, if you talk to him at all. And he just said, look, like I told him, we're going to sit down at the end of the year. He said, obviously things are going really well. They won their 15th game under him the other night against the Kings. He kind of joked, like if it goes into the dumper in the next couple of weeks, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But he said that the way it's going right now, it looks really good. And, but they, he said, we talk after the season. So that's where it is. Let's get to the story that dominated the headlines and dominated discussions Tuesday when we were in Florida at the GM's meetings, and that is the passing of Eugene Melnick. Um, we've talked a lot. You've written about um, plenty. We've spoken about on the uh, on the radio show, and a couple of thoughts here, one on Eugene and one on the uh, the future of the Ottawa Senators. A lot of people have made the correct point that it is a complicated past that Eugene has yep. with the Ottawa Senators, and that happens. One of the points that I've tried to make over the past few days is, you know, we're moving in an, into an era now where it, teams uh, are corporately owned. And we talked plenty about the, the Fenway uh, Sports Group and their purchase of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they got, you know, they got soccer, they've got baseball, now they've got hockey. And this is probably the future of sports ownership. And we're moving away from a singular owner or a family-based ownership structure in all of sports, certainly now in hockey. And I think we lose something. I don't know what it is, but it just changes. It changes the city and it changes the sports. When I say Eugene Melnick, what are the things that come to your mind, Elliot? There's a lot and it doesn't always go down the same roads. I mean, you remember the beginning, you know, he saved the Senators, uh, the promise that came with that. The Eagles concert he had is kind of like his first official act and all the excitement, you know, the Stanley Cup run. I talked in the blog about the one incident where in the middle of a playoff game, a game they would get knocked out in 2010, he tried to go in the dressing room in the intermission to fire up the team and, and Brian Murray came running down to stop him from doing that. I got actually a text message about the fact that in that series on the road, uh, he flew in to Pittsburgh on his jet and wanted to address the team before the game. And some of the staff like put up some, you know, they just created some obstacles that he couldn't get there in time. And so what he could do is he could high-five the players going out on the ice. But, you know, he loved the Senators. He, he really did love the Senators. And he wanted them to win, and he cared about them a lot, and he loved being the owner of the Sanders. You know, I would say that the last few years haven't been easy. The Alfredson thing, I think, is a big deal. I don't think you should be surprised to see them reach out to Alfredson and say, how can we fix this? Because I don't think it was ever going to happen under Melnick. Mm-hmm. It became a very difficult place to work. You know, there were people who quit out of frustration. There were people who were kind of fired Um, who were good people, and there were some people who stayed under very stressful circumstances. And I do think that that's something that's going to have to be fixed as well. 
I just think the biggest question is, you know, what's going to be the future of the team? Right now, the team is kind of in trust. There's an executor. Uh, I believe it's Sheldon Planner, who's been a longtime lawyer there and, and a member of the Board of Governors from the Senators and has been seen at BOG meetings for a long time. You know, his daughters, Anna and Olivia, Melnick had said he wanted them to take over the team. It's not unheard of in NHL circles. I mean, obviously, the the biggest one would be the Wurtz family. Yep. But I don't know that anybody's been as as young as uh, his daughters have been. I think one's 22 and the other's 20. But obviously, you have people in place, if they want to do it, that can teach them the business. And I believe it was Olivia who was an intern there for a while or worked in, on the staff and I actually heard very good things about her. I mean, that's got to be decided. Are they going to keep it in the family? Or are they going to sell the team? I mean, there would be a lineup of people that are going to sell the team. I've said to you many times, I don't think that team is going anywhere. I think they will work on getting the arena downtown. That process is, is done. You know, someone reached out to me today and said, they read what I wrote and they, they heard what I said and said, you're right to say that team's not going anywhere. Right? Gary Bettman has fought for Arizona. He hasn't had to be as vocal about it, but he believes very strongly in Ottawa. And someone said to me too that, you know, he knows the optics of moving a team out of mm-hmm. the capital of Canada and how that would look. Like a few years ago, I think in some frustration, I think some people said, what if we just packed up and went to Quebec City? But, you know, someone just said to me, don't even go down that road. It's not Not going to happen. That team's going to be there. I I think the question is just going to be, you know, who's going to own it? And I think there's a lot of interest. But again, it comes down to the the Melnick daughters. What do they want to do? And they deserve their time to wrap their head around what's happened and mourn and and then we'll find out how they feel. You know, we know that um, people like well, Justin Bieber, for one, have kicked tires on uh, the idea of owning the Ottawa Senators. How many different rumors do you think we're going to hear in the next little while about various ownership groups trying to get in and purchase the Ottawa Senators? Should they go up for sale? You know, I, I think there's already people positioning. Like, I think there have been some people who've been in contact with the league for quite some time. I think there are um, minority owners of current NHL teams who've done it. I think there have been people kind of around the periphery of the game that have done it. I think there have been some other groups outside of the game that have done it. And uh, like I said, I I think the biggest question is going to be is what does the family want to do? But I believe Bettman is prepared. I I, I think that he knows if this team is going to go on the market or if there's going to be a sale – he has people lined up that he can say, okay, do you want to talk about this? Are you willing to do this? And it's going to be a big number. I mean, there's been at least one attempt where somebody tried to lowball them at like a $400, $450 million thing, and the league laughed at it. They're, they're not doing it. It's going to be a bit, especially with the possibility of a new downtown rink on the horizon, it's going to be much higher than that. I think at the end of the day, the Sanders fans have to know I believe the, and I wrote it today and I'll say it again. I believe the NHL has a plan for an Ottawa team downtown and ready. Was really impressed at how Pierre Dorian spoke. I mean, he was the first one to come out of the meeting on Tuesday, um, general manager of the Ottawa Senators, talking about it, the, the late owner and how, you know, how emotional he was and how, you know, visibly moved and how compassionately he spoke about, uh, Eugene Melnick. Um, he's, 
sorry, he's someone that meant a lot to a lot of people. He gave a lot. He made a commitment to the city of Ottawa, to the franchise, to try and build the winner. I think one of the saddest parts about his passing is he won't get to see, I think, all the work that we all did together to try to build the winner. A lot of you didn't know the great man that he was as far as how much he cared about Ottawa, the Senators. I'm so thankful to him on a personal note. He allowed me to be one of the 32 GMs in the league. It's, it's an elite position, and I'm so thankful for him for giving me that opportunity. And I want to promise the fans in Ottawa that we will deliver a Stanley Cup one day. That was pretty impressive because I don't think Melnick is always the easiest guy to work for. No, we we all know that. Like we've all heard the stories. Everybody has a story who's who's worked there. And listen, I thought Dorian was really brave to do that, to come out and face everybody and speak the way that he did and and good for him. And some of the things he said were quite touching and beautiful. I do think, one thing I do want to say is I really feel for someone like Roger Lajoie. Now, many of you listening may not know that name. Roger in the Toronto area is a sports legend, longtime uh, host on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, you know, Eugene has, you know, employed him in a number of different positions in OHL Mississauga, in AHL Belleville, and, you know, with the NHL team, the Ottawa Senators as well. And I know that Roger was really feeling it when, when Eugene passed away. And I just want to make sure that I mention Roger Lajoie's name through all of this. Cause I'm a, listen, I, I have a lot of respect for Roger. Yeah, and they were I just tight, want to make sure, tight. want to make sure that his name gets mentioned here as well as someone, you know, who really cared for the, uh, the late Ottawa Senators owner. And you know what else, Elliot? I thought about this, um, was it yesterday afternoon, uh, out for a run? You know what I really, you know what I really loved? I really loved hearing Eugene Melnick on with Bob McCowan. If you ever really wanted to know what he was thinking, you had to turn into those interviews. Now, I know it ruffled some feathers in Ottawa that here he is, you know, the owner going on the Toronto radio station, but it wasn't as if he was going on there to wave any Toronto flag. He was going on there as Eugene Melnick, owner of the Ottawa Senators, and and always made that obvious on the number one, you know, sports radio property in the country. And those, first of all, those interviews got Eugene in hot water sometimes, uh, around the league for a couple of different reasons, but they were must listen to. Yeah, I'm really going to miss, you know, hearing Eugene Melnick interviewed because no matter what, it was television, it was radio, it was podcast. Yeah, you always knew you were getting something out of Eugene. And we pass on our condolences here uh, to the family and the friends of Eugene Melnick. You know, by the way, before we talk about some teams, I got a yeah. call after my hit on your uh, radio show. To see how good I was? No, to see. How say, you should let Merrick talk more? No. <laughs> Actually, after today, you should probably never be allowed to speak again. Because it was from John Davis, our buddy, West Coast Hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he agreed with me that your idea of the chase uh, shootout is the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. 
That covers a lot of ground, first of all. Second of all, I'm just I'm just throwing ideas out it there. Was. And listen, it's funny because I, I asked Colin Campbell about that, who was on the hour after you were on. I hope he laughed his head off and said. He said they've talked about it. Oh, my God. He said it's been, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's been, though, just so everyone listening is on the same page here. We were talking, Elliot and I were talking on the radio Thursday about the Blake Wheeler shootout goal against Craig Anderson, where he approaches the net slowly appears to not just slow down but appears to stop and then it's about you know 100 shoulder fakes pat kane style and then tucks it over anderson's glove and the question is did he stop and then the question then becomes do you want this as a shootout or do you want the shootout to replicate what a breakaway should be and when you're on a breakaway someone's giving chase so the idea is and example that I brought up to you, Fridge, was our kids do this in three-on-three. Instead of a two-minute penalty, someone gets a penalty shot, but someone's allowed to give chase. Someone lines up from the blue line, you grab the puck at center ice, and the chase is on. That way, it replicates a breakaway. I'm just lobbing these ideas out there, Elliot. That's your worst idea ever, and (laughs) I I just, I actually want it to happen because I want to see the players (laughs) who don't get to take shootouts, but they're always the chasers. That's worse than being the yeah. the oh okay we got a bench miner you go to the box and serve it. <laughs> you get the chase instead. Yeah, the example we raised was Nick Ehlers. Ilya Labushkin, no <laughs> shot attempts in the shootout, 476 unsuccessful yeah. chases. You just go chase. That'd be a whole new stat too. How many successful chases? Listen, man, I'm coming up with something here. Like I I don't expect you to understand any of this. 15 years from now, you'll look back. I understand that it's uh, stupid. Look at this. Look at this. Merrick was so far ahead of his time. Yeah. Um all right, let's get to some teams here. Montreal, Philadelphia, Seattle, and Arizona all have one thing in common. Uh, they've all been eliminated from playoff contention so far. Let's begin with Kent Hughes's team, the Montreal Canadiens. And the question we ask for all of these teams, Elliot, what now? It's just amazing. Think about where we were a year ago. Oh, crazy town. I know. And now here we are with Montreal. We've gone from the Canadiens about to begin their ride to the Stanley Cup final to the Canadiens maybe getting the number one overall pick and getting eliminated from the playoffs in the middle of March. There we were watching the Montreal Canadiens respect attendance bylaws and not try to break them in any way, shape, or form as their team went to the Stanley Cup final. There's no way there were more than 5,000 people in the building. Impossible. So what happens now? What happens now? I think one of the the most interesting questions I have for them is, Okay, first of all, you got to think that Marty St. Louis is getting an extension here, right? You going to drop another Boudreaux note on us here? <laughs> no, no, in, unless he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. So Marty St. Louis is coming back. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is do we see Carey Price again? That's the only other thing for the rest of this season that I look at with them. Because if Carey Price comes back and plays, yeah. and I think there's a chance he's playing somewhere else next year. If he doesn't come back and play, then where are we? To the price question, I have no answer. Yeah. I could see Carey Price coming back and playing somewhere else. I could see Carey Price riding off into the sunset. Think of all the things that he's already done. 
I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't have an, I don't have a concrete answer for any of it. It's all comes down to his body, right? So, correct. So, number one question, San Louis. We think we know the answer to that. Number two question, price. Don't know. We have no idea as we as we do this podcast the answer to that. But to me, I, I see it being extremely difficult for him to get traded. If you know he doesn't play a game between now and the end of the season, mm-hmm. if he does get into a few games, then I could see the possibility of it. You know, the other thing I've wondered is, you know, is there any chance he could be any way like Weber in the sense that the body, and again, I'm not reporting that I know this to be a fact, but, you know, I watched Weber right off to the sunset at the end of last year, and you just wonder, is there any chance Price could be going through the same thing? Is there any part of him that says my body can't do this anymore? So I think those are all the questions we have. Mm -hmm. But my number three question, Jeff, is, how big fish are the Canadians going to be this summer? Are they going to say next year, we're going to continue to turn it over to the kids. All of our prospects are going to play. We're going to move out Petrie. We're going to see who else wants to go. Do we continue to turn over our group and see where some of these guys are? Or are they going to go out? And are, are they going to try to get somebody? Are, are they going to try to land a big free agent? Are they going to try to land a big body like a star player somewhere or do they just say you know what it's not our time and we're doing a rebuild because i think chicago is going full rebuild but my question is how far is montreal gonna go but here's the thing about rebuilds that i always come back to what are rebuilds all about getting good players and this is what i liked about well the rangers for example the rangers got our temi panarin yeah like, I wonder how closely... Well, the thing is, he picked them, right? He did. Who's picking Montreal right but, now? But, but if someone's saying, hey, I want... And I don't know who it is. Like, I understand what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. But if rebuilds are all about getting the best possible players and someone falls into your lap, do you worry about, well, it doesn't fit our timeline? Or do you say, you know what? Here's a really good player that can, you know, help make us respectable while we rebuild and help our young prospects. Doesn't matter what the position is. So I, I, my, my only question is, and, I, and again, I know there was some luck involved um, at the lottery, but I just wonder how closely this rebuild is going to mirror what Jeff Gordon did with the Rangers. Your dynamic changes if a star player says, I want to play for you. So maybe that's the question. Does Montreal have someone who says, I'm coming there? I don't know. Or are, if it's no, and they say, look, we're, we're not going to chase, we're going to just grow. That's my thing for Montreal. Is this a full rebuild or is it we're rebuilding, but we're also going out to get some big players? Okay. Again, I'm going to say the same thing that you just said. I am not reporting this. I am spitballing this. If the Montreal Canadiens, because I just thought of a name, if the Montreal Canadiens are committing to a traditional rebuild here and we're loading up on first rounders, hey, we got the draft in our backyard this year. And Chris Letang's deal expires and it doesn't resign with the Pittsburgh Penguins and says, you know what? I wonder what it feels like to play in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And you're Kent Hughes. What do you say? Oh, sorry. You know what? We're, we're not following your timeline here. We're following Nick Suzuki's timeline and you don't fit. Like, I think the question with Letang is purely health. I don't think anybody questions his ability. I think it's all health. Mm-hmm. I think that the biggest issue that Letang has faced in Pittsburgh getting a contract on is term. Mm-hmm. So... My question is, does Montreal feel any differently? No idea. We know that they're going to move Petrie out. Does that open a spot to bring in another established player? Well, sure it does. Or or do you use that spot 
for one of your kids. Like, I think Justin Barron's going to be a really good defenseman for a long time. I think we all can see that and suspect that with, with Justin Barron. But, you know, Justin Barron's 20 years old. Uh, Romanoff is 22 years old. They've got Harris coming. They, they have the possibility of Struble coming. But then you always have to ask yourself, too, how many is too many kids specifically on the blue line? Right. That's the only question. Okay. To the Philadelphia Flyers, this season has not gone the way it was intended. And it's, you know, we just saw Claude Giroux traded to the Florida Panthers as well. Um, Justin Braun goes to the New York Rangers. Derek Broussard goes to the Edmonton Oilers. Geez, I don't even know where to begin with the, the questions about the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I don't think they're going to do a traditional rebuild. That is not the Flyers' no MO, not a chance. I think we're all still very much of the mind that they're going to load up on whoever is available and they can fit under their cap. Do you feel otherwise? No, I, I think Kadri is going to be a big target there. But I, I think the questions they're going to have is who's going out? You know, is Provorov going to be there? Is Sanheim going to be there? What's Ryan Ellis's health? Those are my big questions is who's staying? Who do they believe is a long-term flyer? That's number one. Chuck Fletcher, he got the vote of confidence. Yep. Is there any reason to believe that's changed? I, I don't have any intel that says to me it is, but I've, I've just wanted to make sure at the end of the year. Is Mike Yo staying? Are they going to get somebody else? Could a John Tortorella end up there? Could a Rick Tockett end up there? I think they have a lot of questions that they kind of have to answer here. But I do agree with you. I, I think they're going out hard. I, I said the moment that Dave Scott went out and had that press conference that we're going for, Kadri was the number one name on my list. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's reason to believe that, even though he's still playing somewhere else and might win a Stanley Cup this year. I think Philly is going to have a fascinating, fascinating offseason. I think their renewal numbers and their sponsorship numbers are a little bit soft and they have a way that they tend to react to that. Mm-hmm. And that way is to go out and get something shiny that the fans find attractive. <laughs> to the Provorov question, I think we've talked about this before. I, I still believe that they're not going to make their minds up on Provorov until they see him play with Ryan Ellis. I mean, listen, unless a whopper, lands in you know chuck fletcher's lap because I, I think the plan all along was ellis and provorov and ellis got hurt uh and stayed hurt and they never really saw it and i don't know that you make your mind up on a 25 year old that you've invested so much in until you see him playing with ryan ellis for at least at least one season no fridge i think when people call philadelphia for the home run trade i'm pretty sure that sanheim's name much like maybe even connect me too those are the names that are out there. Well, I, I oh, you know what? You, you, I'm glad you mentioned Konechny because that's a name I should have mentioned too. I didn't before. The thing is that after you signed Ristolainen, I'm not sure you can keep both Provorov and Sanheim. But then, you know, Provorov signed, Sanheim has to be signed. The, the, yeah, the, that's the thing. The only thing about Sanheim is, is his contract is up at the end of next season. Right. The clock says that you have to make a decision. And the other thing you have to worry about here is what if you don't get Ellis next year. I mean, all of us are hoping the guy can come back and play. Yeah, I know. But what if you don't? Are you banking another season? If your sole question is, we need to see Provorov play with Ellis, you've got to ask, what if he doesn't? Like, how do we feel? Like, the the thing with me with Provorov is, like, I know they're frustrated with him, and I know he's frustrated with them. I understand all that. But 
this has been going on for a long time. And you know, the old line bleep or get off the pot. Yeah. Like I, I wonder if we're, we're getting there with Provorov and Philly, like everybody here has to decide where they want to go. Only problem is if you're going to make a decision on Provorov right now, are you not making it the worst possible time? I, well, the only reason I would say no is that they could have done this last year, right? Cause there was some frustration last year, but they waited it out. Okay, Arizona Coyotes. And first of all, we wish Clayton Keller all the best. That was gruesome, gruesome to watch. And he's out long term. And like it looked bad on impact. But then when you see Logan Couture, who's standing right beside him, starts signaling right away, players know. Players know how, how bad things are. Uh, we wish him the speediest uh, of recoveries because that was a, a real tough one to watch. Arizona Coyotes. What's next, Frege? Well, I think we all know what's next. It's the, you know, Jack McBain, you know, he'll get his chance. Nathan Smith, who was traded from Winnipeg with the Brian Little contract, he'll get his chance. They got Vimelka signed. Um, I'm assuming Chikrin will be dealt in the offseason. Nick Ritchie's going to play there for another year. He's been good. Hang on. Nick Ritchie's been good. <laughs> you know, the one thing good, I'll man. say is Turnier gets those guys to play hard. Like, this is not a team that's going down meekly. They they play hard for their head coach. Yep. And that that's not an insignificant thing. I think next year, again, I don't think they're going to be a great team. I think they're going to play hard. I'm really curious to see. They got a lot of cap room. I'm curious to see who's going to play there. Are they going to have people who are going to want to go there and say, look, like we talked about this. I, I've had a difficult time with my last team. I need a mental reset. I'm going to go there for a year. Like, how is all of this going to go? Are there going to be players who want to play there? Like, there were people in the organization and elsewhere who were not happy about my reporting about the meeting. And they said, you know, the the players didn't say anything that you attributed to them okay but what i said was well matthew schneider was there from the players association and he, what he did was what he's supposed to do he played the heavy for the players and i said to somebody do you really think that the players are going to go to their owner or their ceo as, as javier gutierrez is and they're going to be honest when they know that they hold their fate in their hands I think some veterans might do that, but I don't think everybody will do that. So I think we're all curious to see how this is going to go. We'll see, you know, who their top pick is, where they're drafting. But we're now in the phase of if you're a young player, Arizona is going to give you a chance. Or you're a player that needs a year to unwind and try to get yourself back. Arizona is going to give you a chance. But the one thing I do say is that they've played hard for turn A, but I still think we have a lot more questions about the future of this franchise than we have answers. And what does that mean for players wanting to go there? Here's the big one. And we still don't have an answer. What if they don't get the arena deal? Yes. That's yes. the huge one. Then what? But I, I'm with you. I think there will be some players that need to reset. And I don't think it'll be easy, but I think there will be players that will go. Like there are some agents that I talk to who are like, oh no, I would, you know, turn my guys away. And then there's a couple that was like, no, this is an NHL job is an NHL job. An NHL contract is an NHL contract. This is still an NHL team, despite the fact that they're not playing in an NHL building. It's still an NHL team. And these are still NHL contracts. Let's finish up with the expansion, Seattle Kraken. 
I don't think it's right to measure them against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the team that officially eliminated them from playoff contention. But things did not go well for Seattle based on what we saw at the beginning of the season with this lineup. And first of all, I don't think we expected the goaltending to perform quite like this. They were fighting it all season long because of the goaltending to begin with. But even given that, should we have had bigger expectations for the Seattle Kraken? Should we have expected more from this lineup? For one thing, I think the teams were a lot smarter this time around. They weren't they weren't falling into the same traps. They got to find people who can score. I heard there was a point this year where I think even ownership was saying to the hockey ops, we got to we got we got to do something here. We got to do something. And Ron Francis was like, "No, like we can't be stupid about this." And the number one thing I thought he did that was smart was he got a lot of draft picks. He's got to build up their prospect base, and and that is absolutely true. But I think the one thing they do have to do, they have to go out and and do, is they have to find offense. They have to be aggressive in the search of creative players. You know, you still have to score to win in this league. Sometimes I think we all talk defense, defense, and you have to be able to check and you have to play hard D, but you also got to be able to score. And... That's the one thing I remember at the beginning of the year there, there were people who said, you know, who's going to score on this team? And that turned out to be true. Like I, I've talked to you about this. Like to me, John Klingberg, that's a guy who I think if you're the Kraken, you're going after. And that's a guy who can create offense and you need that on your team now. And that's what I think Seattle with all its cap room and its draft picks it has to go out there and like, who are the best offensive players available? And we have to find a way to get our hands on some of them. I'm glad you brought up goal scoring because you know what I find myself saying now more so than ever. You mentioned this in the the blog this week about how goal scoring is up. And like we're seeing like scores out of 1985 all over again, you know, 11 to two, nine to three, like we're, we're seeing these. I find myself, I catch myself all the time because my default, and I think a lot of us, or have always been when we're talking about teams is, yeah, but can they win two to one games? Yeah, but can they win a three to two game? You know what I find myself saying to myself more than anything else? Can this team win a seven, six game? Cause that's in, in a lot of ways, the way that it's going right now with the offense, with teams that can put up big numbers on you on any given night. Can you keep pace? It's one thing to your point about playing a lockdown two to one game. And I get that. These are playoff scores. Sure. But the way the game is trending right now with the increase in offense, I find myself looking at teams and saying, yeah, you know what? I can see them winning 3-2. I can't see them winning 7-6. I'm with you on that one. To me, I I catch myself saying that more and more. Yeah, but can they win 7-6? And I think we're going to start saying that more and more about teams as as goal scoring continues to rise. Well, I don't know if that's going to continue. This year, there's no question that, you know, because of the condensed schedule, there's, they're not practicing. I, I think that's got a lot to do with it. I also do think, and we have briefly talked about this before, how many true franchise goalies are out there right now? Mm-hmm. Handful. I don't think there's that many, really, which changes the equation too. But I agree, Jeff. I, I don't know if th- this will happen in the playoffs, and I don't know if this will continue next year. But one thing I do believe absolutely is that you, we are entering an era where you have to have offensive talent, and they, they need to find it. And that... Elliot is a good thing for the NHL. Yeah. Uh, let's hit a break. Come back with uh, some emails and a couple of phone calls as well. Wrap up another tidy pod to get your weekend started. We're back in a moment. 
right, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs Every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. A um, couple of emails and a voicemail. A voicemail. Hey, the thought line is always open. one 866 311 Email 32thoughts at To the phones, Emil. Jeff, Elliot, how are you guys? Joe here from Massachusetts. So I'm driving home from work right now, listening to the Johnny Odia interview. And as a Bruins fan, I just wanted to sincerely thank you guys for giving me some PTSD, <laughs> reliving that that goal in the cup final there. You even put the audio in there and everything. That was great. <laughs> I did have a question, though, about the GM meetings. I know you guys were just down there. Uh, it's just kind of about the general format. Um, you know, it's a lot of different opinions in one place. Is there, you know, do, do the GMs get to propose different questions and stuff that they might have, or does the league kind of give a list of hot-button issues? Um, yeah. Thanks, guys. Love listening to the pod. You guys do some great work. Have a good one. That's a great one. Sorry about the Johnny Oduya Chicago PTSD of that. Uh, that was <laughs> that was a blitz at the end of that game. Um, you want to tackle this one? It's not the NHL that presents the items. I mean, you know, various managers, you know, table things that they want to get that they want to get discussed. It's sort of both. So the NHL, like, there's some things that are part of it. You know, Stephen Walcom, who runs the officiating, he gives a presentation. Uh, George Peros, who runs the Department of Player Safety, he gives a presentation. Uh, the league brought Sheldon Kennedy down this time, and, and he was part of a presentation and a panel discussion. So sometimes the, there, there are things that the league says, you know, we're going to talk about. They tell them what the cap is going to be next year, for example, things like that too. But there is a question sent out, where is there anything you guys want to talk about? And for example, this year, Ken Holland of Edmonton, he's the one who brought up the cap in the playoffs. So it's, I think a hybrid is the right way to answer it. There's certain NHL initiatives and there's certain GM-based initiatives. You know, one of the GMs was kind of laughing with me because like they really know how to run meetings is what he said. They're really good at limiting debate on things they don't want to talk about too much because they're like, oh, okay, well, we're out of time. We got to go on to the next thing in our meeting. So that ends this conversation. He actually said it's a pretty good skill that they have there. So it's sort of both. It's these are the things that we need to talk about, but uh, what do you guys have that you want to talk about? So frivolous things like um, should a player get a minus when his team pulls the goalie and they're scored against in an era now where goalie pulls are happening earlier and earlier. Yes, this is a conversation that I had with someone who was trying to get this table that the manager's meeting, Elliot. Mm -hmm. I would imagine those don't get much concert. When you have a room full of people in there, you have people who come up with those kinds of ideas. So if I remember correctly, and I apologize if I'm butchering the story, but I think I have it right. When they change that on a power play, you can have choice of which side of the ice you want the first face off on. Mm -hmm. Like that was just, I believe that was Ron Francis who came up with that. 
And he was just thinking about that as a player. And that was on nobody's radar. And he, I heard he said, why don't we do this? And everybody kind of heard it and said, you know what? Let's do it. And it became a rule. So I think there is room for that kind of stuff, Jeff. It's just that if they, you know, if they really feel that it's to us esoteric or not going anywhere, they'll cut off discussion on it. You know what? I I wonder if they've discussed, and I'd be curious to hear the various managers uh, discussing the pros and cons of it or the the philosophy behind it when it comes to faceoffs. When you're a team that's on the power play, say there's like I don't know a minute twenty left in the period, and you start the period after on the power play. And the play in the previous period ended with you having possession of the puck in the offensive zone. I wonder if anybody has proposed or they've had a conversation about not starting the next period with a face-off at center ice, but a face-off back in the offensive zone. Why should you have a face-off back at center ice when you're on the power play? Nah, it's not as dumb as your show idea from... <laughs> Radko Gudis, no, you, you don't get to take a, a, a shootout attempt, but... You know what? For the 98th time, you can go try to chase a guy. Tell me you wouldn't love to see Radko Gudis chase like Captain Caveman, try to chase down Nick Ehlers. That would be hilarious just for the visual of it. No shootout attempts, but he's got 948 tries to catch somebody. I think the chase, that could be a really good one. And you know, it. I deep in your heart, there's part of you that really likes this. You just don't want to admit it to me. No, I'm pretty shallow and it's terrible. Uh, the first part of that is right. Uh, Trevor in Edmonton says some really nice things about Amal Delich, calling him the real MVP. And I think this is why Amal has recommended that we read this question on the podcast. There you go. Kudos to Amal from Trevor in Edmonton. I didn't know you had relatives in Edmonton, Amal. Uh, his question, he says, is regarding LTIR, cap circumvention in the playoffs, I'll use Mark Stone of the Vegas Golden Knights as my example. What steps does the NHL take to ensure that Stone is legitimately injured leading up to the playoffs? Does the NHL take the word of a Vegas team doctor? Does the NHL employ their own doctors to ensure the teams like Vegas don't circumvent the cap? It's funny. Bill Daly talked about this on Tuesday after the uh, the second day of sessions. Well, it's getting tougher now. Um, you know, first of all, the NHL can demand you see a doctor at any time, right? Or demand medical reports at any time. And one place where it absolutely changed was the expansion draft last year. Look, I don't think Shea Weber can play anymore. I think it's legit, but they were also really unhappy about the whole carry price thing. And teams accused Montreal of manipulating the expansion draft. And the NHL, I think on some level felt it was potentially true. And they did not commit to Shea Weber's never going to play again. Usually what happened when a guy went LTAR, like Pronger would have to go to Arizona at the beginning of the year. Doctor would say, no, he can't play. And then you never see him again, right? Well, now, you know, they made Weber see the doctor a couple extra times this year. And Jeff Jackson actually told me that when he, he's an agent now, he represents Connor McDavid, but when he worked in the front office in in Toronto, I think it was Michael Pekka they had a LTIR case with, and he said the league was all over them. I don't think the league really wants to police this stuff incredibly, but I think what's happened in the last calendar year and then, like we talked about, the Kucherov thing, when you start printing up the 18 million over the cap t-shirts, that's when you're just asking for more investigation. So, like, I do think they've stepped up. I think with Vegas, Bettman, you know, when he was asked, you know, are you satisfied with, with Vegas? He said, 
Based on what I know about it to this point, yes. I'd say the same. Yeah. Wait, you looking for us to disagree no, on that? No, I, I saw, I saw, I saw the look. Well, no, I, I was, I was thinking about the question and how my answer is going to be scrutinized. So I wanted to make sure there was no ambiguity and that it couldn't be misconstrued. Not that that ever happens on things that I say. <laughs> Anybody else? That answer said to me, A, he was expecting it. B, he was ready for it. But C, they've been doing their due diligence on it because there have been a lot of teams complaining about it. Yeah. That was an interesting moment on the Tuesday when he was asked about that. Although Kelly McCrimmon, when I asked him about it, said basically said, no one's, no one's done it to my face. <laughs> what did you make of the pause between when Bettman was, it was, it was pretty interesting pause between when Bettman was asked that question and he gave the answer. And he said something about, oh, I, you know, don't want to, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to make sure that I measure my words because, you know, you and the media will interpret it a, a certain way. Uh, should we read anything into that pause? I just think he wanted to make sure he said what he wanted to say. And you know what that said to me? Mm -hmm. That said to me that he's heard the complaints. Fair. Uh, let's end on this one. Scott in Ottawa. This is kind of hockey trivia too, yeah. but it's also a good question. Uh, I was happy to see Jack Eichel get traded, the surgery he wanted, and to get back on the ice. Amen. I was also excited at the prospect of him finally getting to see some playoff action. However, with the Knights on the outside looking in, well, actually, as we record this right now, they are in. Uh, the final wildcard spot, but hello, Dallas, look out. This might not be the case. Eichel must be at the top of the active list for best player slash career never to play a playoff game. But who's at the top of the retired list for best player slash career to never play a playoff game? Well, right now, the leader is Jeff Skinner. So Guy Chiron was the longtime record holder. He played from... 1969 yes. to 81. You could tell that Sharon was kind of cursed because he was drafted by Montreal and he's there like the one year that they didn't make the playoffs. And right? off to Atlanta, I want to say after that, correct? Detroit, Kansas City, Washington. You know who you're thinking of? You're thinking of Guy Swinard. Oh, I'm thinking of Guy Swinard. You're right. No, I'm sorry. Which is funny because I made the same mistake before. So he played for Montreal, Detroit, the Kansas City Scouts, and uh, the uh, and the Capitals, and he never made the playoffs. Now, as you said, Jeff Skinner, who's over 800 games now, he's the leader. Another guy who was the leader at one point was uh, Jay Bomeister. When he was traded from Calgary to St. Louis, he had actually passed Sharon uh, and was number one, and then he went to the playoffs, so he got knocked out and another guy who was very high until recently was zach bogosian but not only did he break it he won a stanley cup same as ron hainsey he was in the 800 game area i think before he got uh into the playoffs and then ended up winning the stanley cup with the pittsburgh penguins you know what you know who else is you know you hate talking about it because it's so tough these guys want to yeah. play in the playoffs i feel i feel bad for sam gagne who's only played in his career 11 playoff games. Yeah, that's a tough one. The long one. He played those games with Philadelphia and Columbus. Um, it was last in the playoffs in, in 2017. Um, Ladislav Schmid just retired, Elliot. He never played in any playoff games either. But I will say one thing. Shame, because that guy was a good guy and he played hard. He did play hard. I always liked Ladislav Schmid a lot. Listen, I think we're all happy that Sam Reinhardt's going to finally see the playoffs. It, 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 all these guys were connected to Buffalo. Uh, Ristolainen still hasn't 
played in the playoffs. Yep. Giergensen's has not Gergensen's. played in the playoffs. Another guy who was 400-plus games and is going to get a chance to finally play in the playoffs. And a guy I want to see in the postseason is Johan Larson. Nick Delorier, I think, was another one of those guys. If he can stay healthy, it's, he stops having these savage fights with players like Nick Sealer, like the other Jack guys. Eichel. Yeah, that's what that's the, the the question was about. Yeah, Jack Eichel. It'd be good to see him in the uh, in the playoffs. Should Vegas get there? Do you think Vegas gets there? I don't. I keep saying I can't I, see them not, well, but then I, like I look the at like I Dallas. Don't like the math, and, but they're you know the the one thing is, and congratulations to Logan Thompson. I mean, that was a big night for him on Wednesday. First career yes, shutout. Shut at up. least you know what yeah. they're doing. They're giving themselves a chance. They're taking care of their own business. They probably watched that Edmonton LA game the other night, and they're like, ah. Oh, crap this has to go into overtime like that's what you root for someone win the game don't go into overtime yeah oh matthews just scored his 50th into the empty netter rick five gary lehman dave andrichuk all have company now uh austin matthews the first in the nhl this season to hit 50 i'll take seven games of la and edmonton i would too if we get seven games of that i'll take that thank you very much i would too i love jonathan quick i just uh I know you're a big fan. He's one of my man crush guys. Johan Larson, two man crush guys on this podcast. <laughs> Johan Larson, Jonathan Quick. Well, taking us out today, Fridge is a singer and songwriter based in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2015, Otis Jr. spent a few months around the Louisville open mic scene before finding some of his biggest collaborators like hip-hop and neo-soul producer Dr. Dundiff. Since 2016, the two have connected on four albums and have found a sound that connects with their audience. From their 2017 record, Hemispheres, here's Otis Jr. and Dr. Dundiff with three wins on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. And special shout out to Mike Russo of The Athletic, who says, when I do these reads at the end, I sound like Casey Kasem. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Keep dreaming. When I came on heavy, beautiful and brutal, blue I buy. We never had the time to wonder why The way this life has been Is making my head spin Like I'm stumbling in Three sheets to the wind Wait for spring to come Hope for a summer sun Wish when winds would blow Then I know that something's happening You feel when the seasons change Something new is happening But some cycles always Stay the same.